1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Bass Kayak and Beers is sponsored in part by Douglas Rod. Go to douglasoutdoors.com to check out their full lineup and locate your nearest authorized dealer. You know what time it is, boys and girls. It is Bass, Kayak, and Beers podcast on the Paddle and Fin Network. Great for you today. As always, I got Brian Scarberry. You might know him from the Hobie BOS at Sam Rayburn. He had a great tournament. I think he won first place on that one. And now, follow-up to that, the encore was the Cats tournament at um, Lake Travis, also in Texas. And we'll be talking about, more than anything, his showing at Lake Travis and the differences between both lakes, Sam Rabin, and Lake Travis, even though it's kind of like both Central Texas, um, you can say they're very, very different lakes. So I'm very interested to see how Brand Scarberry um, approached each lake and what did he saw in each body of water that helped him get that W. So it's going to be a great show. I hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get started, uh, quick shout out to the guys at KBN, Jeff Mallard and Ryan Lambert. Once again, they're doing a great job promoting the Save the JT Save JT. I'm sorry, uh, tournament, which is going to be on Turning X throughout the month of July. It's going to be nationwide, the whole month. A couple of the details that I got from Brian um, that I wanted to share: it's um, all proceeds go directly to Save JT. Once again, to pay for his medical bills and treatment. If you haven't heard my podcast um, last week with um, Jason, uh, Jason Barovka, his dad, who got seventh place at, at the Bass Nation Kayak Series. Also, KBN did a podcast last week. You can ch- listen to mine, listen to KBN. doesn't matter. Just let get, let's get the word out on Jason Barovka's family and his son, which suffers from one of the most rare disease. Um, so go ahead. Go check him out. Sign up for that tournament. Save JT. Look it up on Tourney X All proceeds again go to Save JT. Tourney X is not getting, um, staying with any of the um, the proceeds or any fees. So shout out to Dwayne Wally for what he's doing. Bunch a bunch of prices. There is so many companies right now donating um, prices. Like Douglas, my sponsor, Douglas Rods is donating a couple of rods and a few of their merch. Also, there is going to be live auctions for world-class hunting trips and fishing guide trips. So once again, go check it out. It's $50 entry fee, and again, it helps out. Even if you're not going to participate, please consider um, signing up for the tournament and helping the Barofka family. So once again, let's bring in Brian Scarberry. Um, Brian, how you doing, man? Thank you for coming up to the show.
3: Hey, man, I appreciate the invite. Uh, I'm doing good. You know, I'm just on my way home from work, so uh, it's a good time to talk about fishing.
2: (laughs) Right? Anything to get your mind out of a Monday blues?
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: How was the weekend?
3: Uh, It was good. It was good. Uh, I did a little uh, frog tournament on Decker on Sunday. Um, But other than that, it was same old, same old.
2: Awesome, man. So for those watching on YouTube, if you notice, I just spilled beer on myself while talking to Brian. So that's pretty funny. Go check it out on Facebook or YouTube. Um, Brian couldn't be on the video, but once again, it's the audio that we're most uh, interested in listening to his story. But funny blooper right there. I just spilled beer on myself. So, Brian, sorry Uh about that.
3: (laughs) You're good,
2: man. An embarrassment. Just bass kayak and beers in here. I'm spilling beer on myself. So you had a great weekend?
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I had fun, man. We caught a bunch of fish at Decker uh, on a frog, and, and, you know, that that was my first frog-only tournament. Man, I, I want to get another one going uh, maybe at a different lake, like, like Choke Canyon or something like that.
2: Is uh, that – let me ask fun. you this. Let me ask you this. Kind of yeah. off-topic here, but is that like a southern Texas thing? Because I've heard some of those frog tournaments, uh, frog fishing, you know, tournaments, and I've always like, that's got to be – like every time I hear about tournament, that they somewhere in southern Texas.
3: No, I I actually think they started out in uh, like California. I know Spro started the first one, uh, but I don't know where the first one was at. But I know it was a big thing in California, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's a big thing in Texas or in uh, Florida too. You know, I think yeah, that makes uh, sense. any of these yeah. southern states that just have a really good frog bite. <laughs> if you have any, you know, that was a, that's the funny thing is like when you're fishing a regular tournament, you just just try to get bite, you know so you're not yep. really throwing the stuff you enjoy throwing all day long but you know when you're in a frog only tournament you're like hey i have a perfect excuse to throw a frog all day <laughs> long you right. know? i think i had four four rods with four different frogs on and uh yeah it was it was definitely fun you know to, to hone in and, and i'll tell you one thing i need to get better uh i need to work out my wrist a little bit more because walking a frog for six hours straight
2: is, uh, yep. <laughs> Yeah. It's a workout. <laughs> I actually was fishing on tournament this weekend. And by the time was one hour before it lines out, I was like, might as well throw a frog right here. Cause right now I'm struggling. And sure enough, first cast, I get a blow up. I missed it. Um, it didn't catch it clean, but I was like, well, go figure. Um, yeah, that I ended up throwing, uh, after that I ended up throwing, a. a um, a brush uh, hog br- um, brush hog by uh, Zoom. And I got oh, yeah. that idea from, I want to say with Jeff Isham, if I'm not mistaken. I had him on my podcast last year. And one of the things he said, if you get a blow up on a moving bait, like a frog or anything, ju- the next thing you should throw is a creature bait, uh, something that's small. And I've asked him, Whoop, we lost Brian Scarberry there. Let's see if we can get him back. And he's back. There we go. I'm back. Yep, I'm back. Here you go. So, no worries. Yeah, no.
3: I, I heard you about the brush hog for sure. That, that that's a yeah. I, I think uh, for me, my follow up bait is usually either a fluke or a cinco, something that's gonna fall a little bit slower. But
2: you know, there, there's
3: I don't I don't think there's anything wrong that you can throw in there after they blow up, as long as you get in there quick. Yeah. You
2: know, and sure enough, I got a 16 and a half bass out of it. That was the last bass I got out of the tournament, it's like one hour to go. But, anyways, we're going right, to talk yeah. about your tournament because your tournament was a lot more exciting than mine was. So, you won the Cats at Lake Travis. Tell me a little bit about that, man. How was that tournament? What worked for you? And what were the adjustments that you made if you had to make any at all?
3: Well, I, I, uh, I, I got like the Sunday before I was, I was going to practice. So I went actually to a different area than I normally fish. I really don't fish Travis a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I, I haven't explored the lake a whole bunch, but I know up the river, you know, obviously we also Jacob Wheeler do really good uh, fishing a swim jig. So I wanted to see what, uh, what I could find up there. And I found some pretty good fish, but, I I didn't think it was enough. You know, if, if two or three other guys had the same idea, um, those dock fish are super spooky. So Mm. if somebody gets to that dock before you, you, you're not going to get a bite. Um, or you, you're going to have to really work for it if you do. Um, so I, kind of abandoned that and decided to just go back to the same stretch that I fished the year before, uh, for cats. And I, I, I won last year as well. Uh, which is kind of funny because I, I really, I think I fished Travis for the cat event and then I might've fished it once or twice between that cat's event and this cat's event. Uh, so it seems like I know that Lake really well, but I really, <laughs> I really don't. It's just a fun Lake. Um, but, uh, but so I ended up going back to the same stretch and, uh, I just figured I'd, you know, uh, kind of junk fish and see what i could figure out the day of the tournament and um you know i think my third cast i caught a 17 and a half on a on a whopper flopper Nice. Uh, caught a couple more on a top water and then uh i found a little a little point in the back of a little pocket um and it had some flooded grass that i could see on the live scope and I could see some bluegill and stuff in there, so it seemed like a really good spot. And sure enough, I, I threw a, a soft jerk bait back up in there. I caught one pretty quick, a, a little small one, like 13 inches. And then uh, a couple casts after that, I caught, a, a I think it was a 21-something, uh, which is, I mean, Travis is not known for, for big fish. You know, if you, no. you know, if it, I don't know if you guys fish it very much, but it's it's not a place where you catch a lot of 20 pluses. So I was shocked to get that one and uh as you know I I I try to make the most of my time so so I got that fish in the kayak got him unhooked and I figured I was like I might as well cast this fluke out there and let it let it start sinking while I'm getting this one measured and pictured so chunked it back out you know maybe five feet away from where I caught the one that I had on the board took my pictures let him go I pick up the rod there's weight on there set the hook and I see this fish start waking across the surface. It's like she had eaten it and was just swimming, I mean, really, really shallow. And that was like a 22 and a quarter. So it was even bigger than the first one that I caught. And she was, she was a dinosaur, man. Big old head. Uh, just a really, really cool looking fish. But, uh, I mean, it was kind of back to back. And then I fished around and I caught a lot of fish on top waters and, and the soft jerk bait throughout the day um and i i think i ended up with 90 i I mean after that second fish i caught in that spot i was at 90 inches and that was at six forty-five, and first lines in was at six (laughs) so it was it was pretty shocking um but i knew like the, the guys we fish against in cats that they're some of the best in texas and yes and they they figure it out they always figure it out so i knew if I was catching them like that, somebody else was, you know, I, I just knew they were. So I, I didn't, I didn't let off. I just kept, kept pushing and pushing. And later in the day, the fluke bite kind of slowed down and I started throwing a text rig. Um, I was throwing a watermelon seed, uh, ribbon tail and it wasn't really getting it. I get a couple little taps, but, but, uh, you know, it's hard to say if they were bluegill or, or if they were bass, but nothing was really committing to it. So I decided to switch up to um, motor oil, and I think second cast with motor oil I caught a sixteen, and then like two or three casts after that I caught another twenty and a quarter. Uh, yeah, that that I think that was that one right there.
2: That yeah, that's the twenty. If I don't m- mistaken, that's the twenty two and a quarter. Oh, is that the big one? Okay, that's yeah, big, that's a big, beautiful fish, by the way. Yeah, she has a, some broad shoulders there.
3: Yeah, man. When she came up the first time, all I saw, you know, that water's so clear. You can see their head shake and all that. And just by the size of her head, I was like, Oh my God, this is a giant. I thought it was a, I thought it was gonna be an eight or nine pounder, you know? Um, but, uh, but her, her back half lacking a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
3: but yeah, so, so later in the day, I picked up that motor roll and, and made that change and, uh, you know, I caught like three or four fish in one spot, and one of those was that last twenty that bumped me up to ninety six um, and uh you know it was just it was a fun day I caught a ton of fish and and I think um I was just fortunate to to stumble across three good ones that that gave me a good limit that day
2: so nice you ended you ended up dominating that tournament by the way it's it was like what was it? You won, but like eight inches. Then let me share that here because it was it was kind of impressive. And again, it's Lake Travis, um, and I fished Lake Travis once. Um, and I mean, obviously, you can tell me more about it, but it seems like it's not this um, big bass factory that we're so accustomed to seeing in no. Central Texas. Definitely not. Definitely not. It's a beautiful lake, by the way. It's very. Oh, it is. It's. I think it's more like a California-style lake. I want to say, like West Coast kind of yeah. lake. It's deep, super clear water. Um, very rocky when it's when it's not flooded, like it was, but very rocky. Uh, very, very little vegetation, right? When it's when it's at oh, normal yeah, no, level.
3: There's, there's there's almost no aquatic vegetation. So- to speak of, um, you know, this event, I think the lake had risen like four feet, so some of the stuff that was growing on the bank was underwater. That—that's really what I was targeting: is that grass that had been flooded. Um, I was trying to stay, you know. I caught most of my fish on kind of points or or secondary points, uh, little key spots like that. Um, there were a ton of fish offshore, you know, and you could you could sit out there on offshore and catch, uh, you know. Probably fifty, sixty fish in a day, but finding those bigger ones was a lot harder. And uh, I, I, I know it. I know one thing at Travis is there's always some big fish cruising the banks. You know, mm-hmm. we we saw that Jacob Wheeler is just throwing that long uh, that a whopper popper and catching those five pounders. You know, that's that's kind of the thing on Travis is you can spend all day fishing the banks and you could either catch two five pounders or you can catch nothing. <laughs> Yeah, but they gamble. But they they are there. But like you said, it's it's definitely not like a typical, you know, Texas lake where where 100 inches is is the usual limit. I, I think yeah. last year I won and it, it was low 90s, maybe 91, uh, if that. Um, and that's that's the typical limit that come out of Travis is you know high 80s, low 90s.
2: Yeah, it's a very high pressure. Since it's a because it's such a beautiful lake, especially on summer, the boat traffic, jet skis, pleasure boaters, wakeboard. I mean, it gets crazy. It yeah. gets really crazy.
3: Oh yeah, I was, uh, it was. I was fishing in wakes all day long. You know. Yeah,
2: it's it's a type of lake that I was like, and I mean, not to criticize Cats because they do a great tournament. I think Cats is the longest running. Kayak Fishing Tournament, not only in Texas, but I've heard it's uh, nationwide. It's the longest-running uh, tournament. Um, really? So it's, that's what I've heard. And I, I believe – I think it's been like this is like 10 or 12 feet or something like that. I'm sure it's the yeah. longest-running kayak tournament long in Texas. Time. Yeah. So they know what they're doing, They're um, and, and they're backed up by ACK. But it's one of those lakes that's like, really, we got to put that lake on the middle of summer? <laughs> like, couldn't you get it, like, <laughs> earlier <laughs> – Um, And it's very interesting because the one time I fished it, that's what I noticed. Like the swim jig bite, it's – and and I get it because it's such a rocky bank, no vegetation at all. You figured what else are the fish going to eat other than, you know, um, um, bait fish. I mean, you're not going to see much um, frogs or – Or anything else or lizards or anything crossing around the banks because there's really no vegetation so all there is is pretty much bait fish that's that's pretty much like gotta be like 90 90 99 percent of their bite well maybe crawfish too as well but they really are just cruising around the bank it's not your typical let's look for structures um offshore or because it's such a deep lake or let's look for you know flooded timber it's just pretty much throw on the bank and hope you get them schooling kind of thing.
3: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, th- those bigger fish, I feel like they kind of isolate themselves from from the smaller ones because, I mean, usually when you catch a bigger one, you, you're not really, you know, on a school or anything like yeah. that. They're kind of cruising on their own. But, um, but yeah, they, they – you know, at Travis, the, the really the main structure is dock you know there's thousands of dogs on travis and and uh um that's really the only thing that's consistent i know like two your last year you had a little bit because the lake was really really low for a long time and then it came back up while it was low there was a lot of uh, bigger trees and bushes that had grown up so you know a year two years ago there was actually a lot of like bushes and stuff you could fish and there still is uh, some trees left over. So there's more structure than there was in the past, I guess you could say, but mm-hmm. it's definitely they're starting to erode and starting to you know fall apart because of all the lakes. Um, I know there was a little, there was a little group of stickups that I fished last year that I did really good in. And I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to like look at my area before I showed up on tournament day. So I, I turned the corner on that point, Expecting to see a bunch of stickups and they were all gone, like completely gone. <laughs> so, no, I don't know if some, uh, by the week, yeah. So, I don't know if it was the wakes or the homeowners that, that were along there went and pulled them up, but it's hard to say. But, yeah, so, um, and then uh, you know, because it went up four feet, a lot of those bushes and stuff are, are out, you know, in 10, 15 feet of water now, um, and and they. For some reason, there really wasn't too many fish around them. You know, they, you saw the bluegill and, and crappie and stuff, but uh, the, the bass really weren't out there. The bass, uh, a lot of bass were out there suspended. You know, and I could you could see them on the live scope chasing bait, but they're so uh, finicky. You know, yeah. I know I know a couple of my friends did pretty good in practice, and then come tournament day, uh, they were like shut off offshore. So it it's it's kind of one of those lakes you never know what to expect too. You know?
2: Yeah, and I think um, one of the things to water clarity on it is I mean oh, yeah. you can tell you can make sense they're so finicky and they're usually so deep especially on summer when the water gets really hot, you know, yeah. because it's such a clear lake those warm temperatures really go down and they I think they get more even in winter too. They get even more deeper than than in typical Texas east texas lake uh and and it makes sense that it'd be so finicky because it's the water clarity it's 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 crazy i mean you can see on a good day i've seen it like what 20 30 feet of visibility if it's not yeah, too down, much boat traffic yeah down by the
3: down you know obviously as you get down to the yeah. lower end of the lake it gets clearer down down at the lower end yeah you could probably get 20 uh maybe 20 feet of visibility the area that i was fishing i mean was still probably Ten feet at least, um, and I was I was mid lake, you know. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a, a big factor. You definitely got to keep that in mind. Uh, that's that's kind of why I started throwing the fluke the way I was throwing it. I, I was throwing on a really light wire um, hook. It's actually a uh, owner cover shot hook. Um, a lot of guys use it for drop shot, but I like it for. I actually like it for flukes and sinkos. It's super light, so the baits fall really slow. And I feel like in that clearer water, um, especially when they're kind of cruising around and they're not actually like in one spot, they they can see it from farther away, and it gives them more time to catch up to it before it's actually on the bottom, you know. Uh, I think that was a big part because a lot of the fish I was catching, they would hit it, pretty much within two or three feet of the surface. It didn't didn't fall very far before they um before they would pick it up. So I have a feeling like something like a tech you know, early in the morning, something like a Texas rig w- would have just fallen right past their face and they probably wouldn't have messed with it, you know?
2: That's a good point. So let me ask you this. You you I mean you had a great tournament at the whole BBS in Sam Braben and, and now you yeah. follow all up with Lake Travis we were talking about it and the irony of like two different lakes kind of in the same general area, but you fished it pretty much the same. How was it, how was it different? How was it similar from what you fished in Sam Rayburn?
3: So, um, you know, Sam Rayburn, (laughs) the water level at Sam Rayburn was insanely high. I, I, you know, I think it broke the lake record for, for height. Um, So it was like 12 feet high. Uh and at Rayburn I was fishing this the stuff that they call hay grass, which is like a floating grass that grows really, really close to the bank. Um mm-hmm. and so that was actually flooded and those fish were up in that stuff. Uh and that's what I was targeting targeting at Rayburn. So it's kinda of funny that I was kinda of fishing the same type of structure at Travis. You know, I was fishing that flooded, you know, just just land grass basically. Um but, but like you were saying, I mean, Rayburn, you'd be lucky to get a foot of visibility when we were there. And yeah. it's, it's not a rocky lake. It's it's completely different lake. But um, <coughs> the structure was you – know, the, the fish relating to the same structure was kind of interesting, you know. Because at Travis, you think rock, you know, there's tons of big rocky points and big boulders and, and stuff for them to hang around um and at rayburn you have i mean acres of hydrilla but the but the hydrilla was you know 15 feet underwater or more so you know it's funny that when the lakes come up these bass kind of do the same things you know they Mm -hmm. they move up but they don't they don't move all the way up they kind of they kind of hang around those those grass edges you know
0: Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I've actually, going back to a tournament that I had this weekend, I was in Ray Roberts, which is was very flooded, and I got, I mean, there was parts, I mean, I'm loose term here of, of forest, not a forest, but just a group of trees. And, you know, it was like water depth on what it would have been sure was about five five to six feet. So I was able to navigate through the trees and get to the back of the trees, you know, where it would be almost to the road. I'm thinking, well, there may be bass there, you know, looking for shade and water. And what I found out is learning experience. They really weren't there. They were more at the edge um, Mm -hmm. of that, you know, kind of like they moved up, but they moved completely up. Yeah, um, and that was really interesting because I would have figured, okay, the well, they're back. They gotta be back there, and that's one of the things that I always wonder. You know, when you get this flooded lakes, a lot of times we could fall into that trend. We'd go to go all the way back because they're hiding over there, and not necessarily. I don't know that biological um, reasons why, but maybe just me thinking they're so they're not used to that area. They're not familiar with that area, so they probably just say like, we're gonna get deeper, but not all the way deep where we can, you know, where it's more like not the typical uh, vegetation or area on that lake. And again, that's just me kind of in trying to interpret what the bass are thinking, but that's, that's a yeah. good point. And a good learning experience. We tend to think, oh, they're going to be way back there. And they're really not. At least the, the experience that I've had well, kind of around that time we had, we went through a dry spell where yeah. even if you, for those that love doing that whole Google earth Pin him and upload him to your um uh to your fish finder. You can see two thousand twelve, two thousand up to like two thousand fourteen. The all the lakes around here were like really not really dried up, but some of them were like Jesus. That's like twenty oh, feet. You,
3: Medina, of, Medina yeah. Lake, which is near my house, I think it was four percent of capacity.
2: Wow. Even over here, Eagle Mountain Lake was like almost dried up. I was like, what is this? So now the last five years, Texas, especially um, Austin, has been every spring has been hit by consistent flooding or lots and lots of rain compared to what five years ago. So it has changed, I think, a lot of what you used to fish back to what, what it is fishing now. And um it's really interesting. Uh like I said, it's it's one of those things that I'm trying to learn on flooded lakes. How deep do I think those bass are gonna go? Um when And I it's think that's flooded. one
3: thing I think that's one thing that benefited me is where I fish and, and, and the years that I've that I've got. Um I've I've fished a lot of lakes that, you know, went down and then all of a sudden got flooded. You know, I, I fished choke back in the day when it, when it was getting flooded, I fished Amistad and Falcon, you know, when they were really low and then they would go up. So I have a lot of experience fishing those lakes when they, you know, when they flood. Um, And I was, I was going to ask you when you went to go fish the lake with the trees that you were just talking about, how, how soon from the time the water went up to the time you were there, how, how much time had gone by?
2: That has been okay. We've been hit by rain consistently. I want to say for like the last three weeks. Yeah. It's been like just the last three weeks have been really f- flooded, especially the last two um i think the the height of the lake uh, has been the last two and now it's slowly starting to come down so i want to say it's been like at least two or three weeks where the the water level has reached is or the lake level the water level at the lake i should say has reached its maximum
3: see that that's what i've noticed is like if a lake floods and it comes up really quick you know um those bass they move up you know they they want to they want to explore that new water they want to eat i mean you can only imagine how many frogs and bugs and, yeah. you know, a thousand different animals that they can eat uh, are up there. So that's what they're going to do. They're going to go and just feast. And that's what I've noticed. If you can get there within, within two or three days of that flood, you can get on those fish super shallow and catch them, you know, in really fun ways like a frog and a swim jig and a buzz bait, stuff like that. But I feel like, I feel like after like a week or so, they kind of start, they get bored with it. They run out of stuff to eat and they go back, you know, out towards kind of where they were before or or some sort of structure, you know, more related to where the, where the lake was. Um, and that, that's, you know, at Rayburn, everyone was up in the brush and they were catching a, a lot of fish, you know, um, but it was a little tougher, you know, and then I figured, you know, from my experience, I feel like a lot of those fish start moving back out to where they were before. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's exactly where I started catching them. So, um, you know, it's really fun, you know, guys listening and they want to get some experience, go out there and fish your flooded lakes and get some, get some experience on what these fish like to do, you know?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And, and again, um, a little, uh, Nugget of information for out there for those out there listening. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I've I, again, this is something that I've kind of like starting to learn about it. It's like, you know, it's the last two or three years. I've been really hitting that back of those lakes um two or three weeks after the the floods, but it's not it's not producing the bites that I thought. And it's always at that edge. It's kind of like to me, it's like that grass right in front of the of the timber of not standing timber, like the typical uh, flooded lake. It's just like those like trees bushes. are not. Yeah. Those, those yeah. trees that are not supposed to be, you know, four or five in or uh, 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 with water level, you know, mid trunk those, that's the point where I think they started hanging out, you know, that, that yeah. brush and that grass leading up to those trees that are partially on the water is where I think you big, found the most And
3: Another big thing is, you know, when you're fishing flooded brush like that, the type of bush makes mm-hmm. a huge difference because these plants, they put off chemicals in the water. They, they you know, some plants will start, some bushes will start rotting and decaying much faster than others. Um, and so one thing that I've noticed when the water floods like that, if you can find willow trees, there will always be more fish on a willow tree than there will be on any other type of tree you know really that's a good I, point yeah i i don't and and one thing i like about willow trees too is that they don't have a lot of real knotty limbs and stuff so y- you tend to get your fish out of those willow trees a lot better than you would yeah. you know like an oak tree or, or something that's a lot more dense and, and brushy but uh but yeah they you definitely you know, if you're fishing flooded lakes and you're and you're flipping bushes that are flooded, make sure you pay attention to where you're catching your fish. And if you see a willow tree, spend a little bit extra time on that one for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. Like you mentioned, it could be the chemicals in their leaves and the and the sap. Uh, I would tend to think it's maybe because the willow tree is the type of uh, of uh, you know, kind of like low hanging. Um, Branch and leaves and kind of giving them this wide range of uh of of shade, probably what yeah. draws them in. That's really interesting. I really, we I really don't have. I think Lake Grapevine has a willow tree that once I flood. I actually, if I remember correctly, I think I skip a Senko once there and I caught a fish. It was funny. I found a big catfish. Um, it was a balloon that was swimming across the current. I'm like, there's got to be something there, and the balloon was almost. <laughs> there's a guy out here yeah. in Lake Grapevine that fishes for catfish on balloon. It's I've never seen that before, and he just basically just lets a balloon when it's really windy, just lets the balloon out with oh, wow. uh, with bait, and it, it'll be that thing will be like like a quarter of a mile out on. On the lake, and he's on the shore, just with a with you know a spinning rod, and I'm like, what the heck is this? So one of them broke off, I guess, and it and it got caught off in in the willow tree.
3: We do that here for uh, for redfish at at Bronigan Calaveras. We have those two uh, freshwater lakes with redfish. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. There's there's a spot. It's closed now, but it used to be called the Crocky Wall, and it's actually the uh, the intake the power plant and it's a okay. long channel and so you can get up you used to be able to get up on this concrete wall that blocked you know that channel so you can't go back in there so if the wind was blowing right those redfish kind of know to stay farther than the normal casting distance you know it's kind of mm-hmm. funny how they, they they figure that out so we would throw a, a balloon rig and just let the wind push that bait as far i mean i i've had at times where it's 150 yards away from me you know and uh they'll hit it out there and it's it's awesome and my favorite thing would would we would go out at night and put a um, a glow stick in the balloon so you would let it float way out there where you just barely see it and then wait for that glow stick to disappear and you just watch that thing bloop, go under
2: was That's a pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. That I this is the I, this is the first. Well, last year was the first time I saw it, and I saw it. I've seen it a couple of times. Lake Travis too. I caught it, not caught, but I saw a huge red striper. Not red striper. I'm just gonna red fish. Uh, a huge striper. Same thing with a little Gatorade bottle painted with the phone number and the date. That thing oh, yeah. had been hooked for like two weeks. The hook was already <laughs> rusting and. And kind of like rusting in its mouth and it was it was kind of disgusting. So I let it free. I didn't even call the guy because I figured he's not gonna want this fish. It had been two weeks, so but it's funny because he had that little Gatorade bottle and the phone number in it. I just yeah. I was trying to figure out what it was. And I figured, you know, I'll grab it, call the guy, tell him, you know, where I am, he can come pick it up if it's in there around the area. And when I saw the day and I saw the bad shape of that striper, I was like, I'll just let it go. I feel bad for that thing. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, I found that catfish on that willow on that willow tree kind of st- uh stuck in there, um, wrapped around the I don't know, some some brushes or anything. It was huge catfish. I ended up, I tried to look for the guy, I didn't see it. I kind of know I know I've seen the guy before, I didn't see it and, and the balloon was almost deflated. So I ended up giving it to a family that was fishing for catfish. I'm like, hey, I don't see the owner of this balloon, but I mean you can have it, I guess. <laughs> Either that or there I let you go. it go. But, um, yeah, so the, going back to what we are saying, I know we got off topic. Yeah, so that willow tree, I think in Lake Grapevine, I've seen one willow tree that got flooded last year. I think last year was the one yeah, that really, really got flooded. Yeah, And, yes, you're right. You, you found some on, on below that willow tree. So that's a good point. That's a good – that's a pretty good idea, man. I'm getting a lot of information here. Yeah, I need to <laughs> take notes before I post this. <laughs> The good thing is my coming remember. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so, Brian, I know you're, you're driving home and you've been here um, for the last 40 minutes, um, so I don't want to take too much time with you. Um, tell us a little bit about you. Before I let you go, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into kayak fishing and the internal oh, fishing. Man.
3: Well, so I, I actually... Um, I've, I've bass fished since I was in middle school. I think I started the first fishing club in our middle school and bass fishing has just been a passion for me since, since I was little. Um, you know, and I, I started fishing tournaments when I was in high school and did pretty well in those. And then, you know, life gets in the way you have a kid and fishing has got to go on the back burner for a little while. Mm -hmm. So I finally got back to a position where I could, um, I could start fishing again and kayaking just worked better. You know, it was a lot, a lot easier to do. It it allowed me to have more time on the water, uh, versus like a bass boat. You know, you, you gotta kind of keep in mind how much gas you're going to use and this and that. But with the kayak, I mean, I could go out for two or three hours and it was, it was no sweat off my back. You know, it didn't cost me a whole lot of money. So it was perfect. And then, um, I started seeing the kayak tournament start, start developing and stuff. And I started getting interested and I finally got a kayak, you know, I finally got a Hobie pro angler where I felt like I could be more competitive and more efficient on the water. And once I did that, I started fishing cats in uh, 2020. Um, and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. You know, I, I can't wait to continue down this journey and see where it takes me. Um, I absolutely I love kayak fishing. You know, I love uh, I love the tournament aspect of it. I love that we can let those fish go as soon as we catch them. Yep. You know, I think it's a really really great format. Have a has a big future.
2: It does, uh, and and we hope it keeps growing. Uh, let me ask you this, and I always like to ask this to some of the tournament anglers locally because we have, especially in Central Texas, such a great group of guys over there that are absolutely. I mean, turn it up when it comes to tournament fishing. In North Texas, we got Guillermo Gonzalez, Matt Scotch. I know you're down in Central Texas around that area. Uh, Brian Howell, um, Orlando Nandine. Uh, man, the list goes on and on. How do you, you – you won the Hobie BOS at Sam Raven, mm-hmm. and you won the Cats tournament, um, which is completely different. Like, you won it this year, you won it last year. When you look at some of the top anglers out there, the you know, the Russ Snyders, Jody Queens, Christine Fisher, um, how do you feel you stack up to some of them?
3: Man, you know, I would like to think I have a pretty good shot fishing against them. You know, I, I that's kind of what I went to the Hobie event for. You know, I was like, man, I really want to fish um, against some of these national guys and just see what I can do. Um, and I actually – drove to Rayburn Thursday morning, uh, actually Friday morning. So the only day I got to practice on Rayburn was Friday. And I felt like that was really going to hurt me. Um, but I just, I mean, I just found the right area, you know, for, for, you know, um, map, map studies and all that stuff. And, and, uh, I got lucky and was able to launch where I wanted to launch and it, it all just worked out. But, um i feel like i i think i could compete with them you know that's the great thing about bass fishing though is like it doesn't matter how good you are you're never going to win all of them you know um everyone's going to have their shot you know if things are going to line up for you and if you're prepared and you're you're ready for it you're gonna you're gonna take home the win you know so it's really interesting you know i think um i i know I had a little bit of an attitude as far as, uh, you know, I'm better than them, you know, at times. But when you really sit down and think about it, it's like, man, I think we're all good at what we do. You know, we're all great at what we do. And I think, you know, sometimes things work out for this person, especially like the the lake and the time of year and and the structure, you know, it, it just works out to what you like doing and what you're good at. you have more experience at and uh you know that that's what that's what i really really love about bass fishing is that you always have a chance you know Mm -hmm. you're never going to go into a tournament and be like oh there's no way i'm gonna win this you know you always have a chance
2: always let me ask you this real quick and i know i i I don't want to keep you too long because i know you're getting home but If I can get a little bit of information that I would love to know when we talk about Sam Raven, I'll leave it up to you if you want to answer how deep, you know, down the rabbit hole and and give out the secrets you want. So I'm going to be as vague as you want or as detailed as you want. I'll leave it up to you. But when you look at Sam Raven, everything was so flooded. So how did you determine, okay, what did you saw that would say? Okay, I'm gonna try this spot first, and I think this is where it's gonna be because it's you know it's different when it's a normal level, but when it's so flooded, I mean, they could be anywhere. What draws yeah, you so, to say, hey, this is the spot where I think it's gonna be?
3: And, and so that's a that's a really really good question. Um, Thank you. So so what I think about, like you said, when it when a, when an area floods, um, and they they can go back up in those trees they can go anywhere you know between the the tree line and the bank so i want to minimize that area between the tree line and the bank as much as possible so what i'm looking for when it floods is the steepest bank you know a creek with really really steep banks not a lot of real shallow flats that they can really just spread out i want them to be as concentrated as possible um and if you know i i I picked this area because I had a lot of options. I had some main lake points that I knew had some grass on them. I had some some really long points that actually had some trees on top that those fish could move up into those trees and feed and then move back out. You know, they had an option to move in and out easily and there wasn't a lot of area for them to get lost in those trees. So I feel like any time that you could Compre- you can find an area where that is compressed and they don't have to move a long ways to get from where they're sleeping and where they're eating. Uh, that's that's going to be your high percentage areas. And that's that's what I looked for when I was doing my map study at Rayburn. And uh, I, I, you know, I found there were a lot of creeks that I had circled. Um, and the one that I had found just, you know, worked out. I have a, I have a classic coming up. So the area I'll keep a little bit under wrap.
2: <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> but that's a great point man and thank you for sharing that insight that's really good so brian uh again before i let you go i want to give you a few minutes to, to shout out to anybody you want to shout out you know family members friends that make your kayak fishing life a little bit better any sponsors if you have any sponsors or anybody that you want to thank go ahead
3: no sponsors yet i'm working on it um but uh you know definitely um You know, Garmin uh, LiveScope has been an absolutely invaluable tool for sure. Um, You know, I I use a lot of 13 fishing products that are great. Uh, I love their reels, their rods. Their customer service is unbeatable. Uh, You know, I do want to thank my wife. She puts up with a lot of stuff and allows me to get get out there on the water uh, every chance I can. And, you know, time on the water is crucial. So, um also all the guys in san antonio you know it was really cool that uh they were all watching along at raver and they were sending me messages i didn't have very good signal on the water but whenever i got off i got a ton of messages saying you know oh man you got this you know and uh that was really cool um so like the kayak community all together is is great you know like like what we're doing with the, the save jt tournament um it's just incredible what we can do when we all get together. You know with with one common goal, it's awesome.
2: yes, I agree, and we'll look forward to you know watching this sport grow and look forward to what's next for you. um you mentioned the classic uh, other than the classic, anything else on the agenda as far as kayak fishing goes
3: so the next the next big tournament is the the throwdown, which I got second place last year, so uh nice. we'll see what I can do this year uh and then um we have the cats classic at Rayburn. Which is going to be fun because it's going to be later in the year, you know. It's going to be in the fall, which is which is always a, uh, you know, wild card. And then actually, I fish, um, I fish Rayburn, and then the following weekend, I'm going to fish the the Hobie Championship in Alabama, you follow.
2: Nice man, welcome so, uh, that.
3: Thank you, thank you. That's that's going to be fun. I I I'm so excited. I can't even explain how excited I am to go fish that. You know, it's just it's awesome to get uh, get a chance. You know, especially only fishing one Hobie event, and I I just got extremely fortunate to qualify for that. And and I, you know, I, I'm just that's, so excited. I'm just so thankful that everything worked out the way it did.
2: And again, you should be proud. Qualifying for the Hobie Tos is not any easy feat. To me, that's the best run tournament out there. That's a tournament for, you know, for for the elites of the elites. Anybody that qualifies for the TOC in my mind's gotta be a great hammer. Uh just because it's Hobie does just a great job. And you know, as the sports grows and Bass Nation gets involved, I really hope Hobie BOS keeps keeps um, you know, on the spotlight. Cause to me it's the it's very angler friendly. Uh, yeah. And it really caters to the elites, the guys that really – the road warriors have really put on a hard work. So big shout-out to and AJ Ho- McCorder.
3: Hobie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Hobie BOS event, I mean, were 100% professional from
2: yes. Friday
3: to Sunday. I mean, it was incredible um, how well everything was run. There was no questions about anything. Everything was well explained. Um I was super impressed with how well that that went.
2: That's it. And it's uh I know it's kinda like um uh taking shots here and taking for what it's worth and for those out there listening. Uh you know, I'm I'm glad other tournaments, other organizations are getting involved. Don't get distracted by the glitter. Watch what Hobie BOS is doing. They are legit yep. the best tournament run out there. And some guys don't like it because they don't allow motors. That's a subject for a different day. And I'm not going to talk about that <laughs> just on the way it's run. It is yeah, again, absolutely. best by far heads and shoulders above anybody else out there really catered to the anglers, even on the small details, the, you know, that nod or tipping that hat to Brian Howell when, um, you know, he won the tournament that he won, and then the next tournament here, the the ID card was a picture of Brian Hall. That those are small things that you have to really hand it to AJ McWhorter. You know, giving giving that nod to to the local, you know that that put on a show in the last tournament. That those are some small details that are really appreciative of what they're doing. You know, oh. So, Shout out to them for for what they're doing. So again, yeah. Brian, um, if you don't mind, going to end the recording, but stick around. You mentioned something about sponsorship, so I wanted to talk to you about that. So, but for those out there listening, thank you for once again for tuning in into the Bass Kayak and Beer segment on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. Shout out to Douglas Outdoors. They're a sponsor of my podcast. Go check them out, DouglasOutdoors.com. Check out their rods. Find out where's your nearest um, dealer or online dealer. You can order one. So, again, thank you. we your PFDs. And, Brian, if you don't mind, stick around and uh, have a great day. Thanks for tuning
3: in to another killer episode on Paddle in Fin.